Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. In adversity, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. So in adversity, there's opportunity, Yeah. In reorganizations in companies, when I used to work in corporate life, I used to believe that, you know, reorganizations, typically people get moved around, they get sacked, they get redeployed, they get, you know, all of these things. But, and people used to hate it, and I didn't particularly like it, don't get me wrong, but I also saw it as an opportunity. And at the end of the day, you know, the economy is only as strong as its weakest link. And the thing I heard about the whole area of recession was that it's never normally one thing that happens. It's three or four things that tie together that makes people start to feel that things are going to go wrong and therefore it's not worth investing in. What's interesting to me about skepticism like this, though, is... Skepticism is a good thing, in my opinion, from my perspective. Skepticism is the foundation of science. So, Ryan, one of the interesting things I always find fascinating is, you know, one of the challenges we always get is, do emotions play a part in business, particularly in the business-to-business field? And... um, It always amazes me how people say that and then you turn on the news and you hear people say there's a lack of confidence in the stock market and you think, yeah, the whole thing is built around confidence, you know, whether stocks goes up, stocks goes down. I mean, it's even more than that. There have been studies that have looked at stock prices in various indices and correlated it with the weather. So if it's cloudy and overcast and rainy that day, then people are feeling a little bit down and stock prices are pushed down. There's another one. I don't know if I told you about this before, but they correlated the FTSE index in England, in London, with the fate of this British national soccer team. Did I tell you about this study? Which is why it always goes down. Yeah, which is why (laughs) you should never invest in England. But yeah, like it. After the national football team loses, then the next day stock prices go down, and it's it's like the more dramatic the loss, <laughs> like the, like if you make it farther into the playoffs and then lose, then the decline is even sharper. Yeah, it's very much driven by emotion. Yes, and therefore what we decided that we would do today is that we are going to spend some time talking about are we talking ourselves into a recession? Yeah. And what's the sort of psychology behind that? And what does it actually mean? And what can we learn from that and do differently? Because at the end of the day, it's about confidence. You know, is there confidence in the market? And one thing what we know is we're definitely heading for a recession. The only issue is we don't know when it's going to occur, whether it's going to occur in six weeks, six years, 60 years. It certainly typically is going to happen more in a shorter period of time than 60 years anyway. In fact, there's a quote I read when I was looking for this, uh, looking up on this stuff in a bit more depth. And 
Apparently, the US economy has been in recession for 15% of the time since the post-war era. Did you know that? I did not know that. There you go. And economists have successfully predicted nine out of the last five recessions. <laughs> that sounds familiar. That I, that I believe, yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the Great Recession, you know, clearly, you know, people didn't predict that, yeah? And it's therefore very difficult to predict. So what's happening from a technical perspective when we say lack of confidence, you know, people getting depressed and soccer teams not winning and, and then the stock market goes down, what's happening? I think it's useful to decompose the causes of a recession. So there are some things that we might consider to be more objective forces. So if there's, you know, like some kind of natural disaster, so if, you know, there's a drought and it starts destroying crops, or if there's a war and that starts disrupting supply lines. So there are these big kind of real forces that affect the economy up and down. But then some portion of how the economy runs, to your previous point, is emotion, is confidence, is kind of the general feel. And that varies by economy. So a big part of the U.S. economy is driven by consumer spending. And that is especially sensitive to how people are feeling. And if you feel wealthy and if you feel confident, then you spend more. And if you don't, you start to pull back. Uh, Same with business investment. So another significant portion of the economy is businesses investing in themselves and investing in expansion. And if they anticipate things are going to go well, they feel confident, then they'll lay out a lot of money and spur growth. And so what that means is that some portion of how the economy is doing is based on perceptions of how the economy is doing and perceptions of how the economy will do. And as we talk about over and over in this podcast, perceptions do not always line up with reality. And so things can be going great and we can feel really nervous and that could cause a contraction and vice versa. Things could not be going well at all, but if we feel very good about it, that could kind of stabilize the economy and lead to growth. Yeah, and when we start to sort of think about all these things, the the whole area of, I guess, loss aversion starts taking into play, doesn't it? Of us starting to go, well, I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose my car. I I therefore better start cutting back. And, you know, if things are going to start getting tight, then I'm not going to do that extension on the house that I thought I would do. And therefore, again, that starts to you start talking yourself into a recession, basically. Good. So let's start with uh, loss aversion and what it is. Long-time listeners will know, but anybody who's not up on our back catalog may not have heard us talk about this before. So loss aversion is the idea. It was a phrase that was coined by Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky. And it's the idea that people tend to feel losses much more profoundly than they do gains of an equal magnitude. So if I give you $10, that feels good. You like that. If I take $10 away from you, that feels way worse than getting $10 felt good. And losses just seem to take up more psychological space. So loss aversion can do two things to us. It can make us sensitive to losses, which is is pretty straightforward. We want to avoid losses. We don't like them. The other thing that it can do, though, is it can change our risk preferences So if you are in kind of a lost domain, if you're worried about the economy, if you feel like things are not going well, it can actually, you know, bizarrely cause you to be a little bit more risk seeking. So companies that are struggling, that are not doing well, will 
take on riskier ventures to try to right the ship. They'll take on more risks. Firms that are doing feel like they're doing well will not want to change what they're doing. They'll become very risk averse. So both of those things can combine, both wanting to avoid losses and then also kind of increase riskiness in our activities. Both of those things can affect the overall likelihood of inducing another recession. And at the end of the day, you know, the economy is only as strong as its weakest link. And the thing I heard about the whole area of recession was that it's never normally one thing that happens. It's three or four things that tie together that makes people start to feel that things are going to go wrong and therefore it's not worth investing in. And therefore, when you start to look at the whole area of loss aversion, what you start to realise is that, you know, depending upon, I guess, how you look at life and whether you are looking at the key indicators, what are those key indicators that people are looking at? And moreover, do we trust the people that are telling us these things? And I guess that must have a big play into it. You know, what's the angle that they're coming from? Is this some advice that I believe in? You know, were they right last time? So on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, it's so so much of that is interesting to me. Like, what's interesting at this particular moment is that a lot of these key confidence indicators are not super consistent. So there's like I heard on the radio yesterday as we're recording this, some pundit who said that based on the data, the manufacturing sector in the United States is already in a recession. So in other words, manufacturing has been contracting for at least a few quarters. Agriculture also has been in a recession as a function of the trade wars. So there are parts of the economy that are clearly not doing well. There are other parts that are doing fine. And overall, there's some very good numbers. You know, look, if you look at unemployment numbers and wage numbers are also looking favorable for the first time in a long time. So we've got this real mixed bag in terms of how the economy is doing. And it seems to me like in situations like that, this confidence layer is both going to be especially important in driving the economy and especially vulnerable. So if the core parts of the economy, the real economy, are going in different directions, then you know, this consumer confidence and business investment part of it is really going to be important for driving which direction we go in. Let Beyond Philosophy help you discover what your customers really want, not what they say they want, by uncovering the hidden drivers of value in your customer experience to create real ROI. Contact Beyond Philosophy by going to beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash contact. Yeah, and I guess it's interesting when you start talking about confidence and you start talking about how does that manifest itself. What do you think the influence is then of expert advice? Okay, because recently when the whole Brexit thing happened in the UK and the vote happened, one of the politicians famously said that people no longer trust experts. Yeah. And the experts have had their day, as it were, you know. And you start to think, well, if I can't trust an expert, <laughs> who can I trust? And what do I trust? So where does that sort of expert advice play into that? Oh, man, it's a good question. And I, you know, I wish I could give a clear answer to it because it's, I mean, it's such an important question right now. It's a bit about, it must be around trust, isn't it? I mean, it, it's obviously driven yeah, it around is. trust. The, what's interesting to me about skepticism like this though, is skepticism is a good thing. 
in my opinion, in my, from my perspective. Skepticism is the foundation of science. We should be skeptical of what we see. We should always be looking for alternative explanations. We should have better explanations than what we do now. We should be poking holes. Like This is good science. And we should all do this in our lives. What's bizarre to me is people are kind of selectively skeptical. It's almost like people have a stock amount of skepticism to burn. And then once they've burned through it, there's no more skepticism to give. So a lot of times these people who like don't want to listen to experts and don't trust experts and can point out experts have been wrong in the past. All that's true, but then they don't apply as much or more skepticism to a non-expert who's proposing something else. It's like, all right, I've burned up my skepticism on the experts. So now I'm going to swallow whatever some non-expert says instead. And that seems to me to be a really bad choice. It's fine to question the expertise of skeptics, but if you do, you should be questioning the expertise of non-experts even more. It makes me realise that this all ties into the discussion and the podcast that we had around tribalism, which is, you know, you believe in your tribe's expertise or expert opinion, but you don't believe in the other tribe's expertise or opinion. I mean, one your question about like kind of where does confidence come from and what makes it kind of ebb some of it is very much i think kind of a contagion problem where we all collectively start are feeling confident and then at some point we just all are collectively not feeling confident anymore and i think that that does go back in part to tribalism so is your tribe feeling confident like if you were to talk to somebody in manufacturing or in coal mining or in some other industry that's really struggling right now I would assume that that group, that tribe is probably not feeling confident. But, you know, if we are not a part of that tribe, then we may be isolated from that, at least for now. There's a quote that a recession is when my neighbor loses his job and a depression is when I lose my job. So there's this kind of spreading feeling that can like kind of, as long as I'm isolated from it to a certain extent, then you know, it's a shame that manufacturing struggling, but you know, I don't work in manufacturing. And so at some point though, it'll start to touch people I know and people I associate with in my tribe. And I think that that's when we start to see these big shifts in confidence. So let's try and look at this from a positive perspective. Okay. And let me tell you one of my favorite stories. I was watching a film a little while ago, some years ago, actually, an old old film about uh, Formula One racing drivers. And basically what happened was that in this film, this racing driver was hurtling around the track, running second to his nearest rival. And suddenly the, his nearest rival, who was ahead of him, spun out and killed him and was killed. And after the race, the driver was being interviewed. And the guy that was interviewing him said to him, he said, when you saw, you know, that driver spun out and it killed him, did you lift your foot off the accelerator, you know, and slow down? And he said, no, I didn't. He said, what I did do was put my foot down further on the accelerator and went faster. He said, because I knew everybody else would be taking their foot off the accelerator. Yeah. And that for me is a really good story about, change and a really good story about you know i've always believed in adversity 
You know, every cloud has a silver lining. So in adversity, there's opportunity. Yeah. In reorganizations in companies, when I used to work in corporate life, I used to believe that, you know, reorganizations, typically people get moved around, they get sacked, they get redeployed, they get, you know, all of these things. But, and people used to hate it. And I didn't particularly like it, don't get me wrong. But I also saw it as an opportunity. So the issue becomes in a recession, there's opportunity. Yeah. And in fact, I was talking to our financial advisor the other day and I was chatting to him about a recession coming and should we be changing stock profile and blah, 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 blah. And the point he made was, yeah, look, you're likely to see it go down a bit, but there's also then opportunity to go out there and invest money in stocks that have therefore been underpriced. So I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's the way that you look at it, you know, do you look at it? through a negative lens or do you try and look at it through a positive lens and see if there's opportunity there yeah absolutely I mean, does that make sense so from a a cold hard rational economist professor perspective recessions are really about a reordering of the economy so the economy has overheated it's gotten inefficient it's allocating resources in ways that are suboptimal. And so collectively, the invisible hand of the economy says, all right, enough's enough. And it needs to kind of move things back in a way where things are going to operate more properly. Now, and I know you weren't advocating this either. Like if you are caught in the gears of that change, that's just really painful and hard and difficult. But to your point, this is a time of change. Things are going to come out different in some way on the other side. And so if you can go into hard economic times, looking beyond it and trying to anticipate, right, what are things going to look like when we come out of this on the other side and what's going to change and how can I position myself to be in the best position to handle that change, then I think that hopefully we can kind of mitigate some of that stress and some of that difficulty. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So what's the so what? So usual question at this point, well, what does that mean that we people should do? Prepare for a recession. <laughs> the trouble is it may not be for 10 years time. So, yeah. I'm- it may not be. Yeah. I mean, timing a recession is difficult, arguably impossible, but knowing that it's going to come, right? I mean, if you're a fan of the Game of Thrones series or the books, House Stark their family motto is winter is coming. And it's something that they just, they always say, Sean Bean would say it to everyone very, you know, gloomily, because that's what Sean Bean does. And this was their house motto. And it, it essentially is, you know, be prepared. Hard times are going to come. Like winter will come in that realm, in that fantasy world. They didn't know exactly when winter would start, but it's going to come. It's going to come. And so are you prepared for that? You know, Indicators are suggesting a recession is going to be sooner rather than later. So are we getting our ducks in a row? Or are we preparing for that? You know, both in terms of kind of financial and preparation ways, but then also psychologically and preparing ourselves for kind of the difficulties of change. Yeah. And I think the only thing I would add to that is we do know that a recession is going to come at some point. Okay. Because history tells us that that's going to be the case. The flip side for me is 
what's the opportunity? Yeah, is there opportunity there? that if you can ride the storm then what comes out the other side because as you just said what you do know is it's going to change okay it's therefore a question of how you look at that change and can you be ahead of the change and if i just bring this back to custom experience for a moment typically at periods of time when there's a recession and i've been doing this stuff now since 2002 so i've been through I guess, two or three recessions, certainly the Great Recession. The danger is that what people do is they take their eye off the ball of improvements in customer experience, which really tells you that they don't believe in it in the first place, because if they did, they wouldn't do that. But, you know, I would certainly be advocating and starting to build the case for why you should be carrying on making improvements in the customer experience, because that will be a loyalty. And going back to the racing car analogy, that if everybody else starts to cut back and your organization doesn't, that gives you the opportunity post-recession to be coming out of this in a much better way. But fingers crossed, fingers crossed, we'll still be talking about the recession coming in three years' time. You never know. And that would be great. I think that, you know, just to reemphasize your point, you might also look for opportunities to improve and refine your customer experience, knowing that people will have some kind of general shifts in needs during recession. So people are going to feel uncertain. They're going to feel more nervous. They're going to be less kind of trusting. So can you alter your customer experience in ways that provides more trust, encourages people to trust you more, that kind of provides people with more comfort and stability and kind of all of those things that we know people in general are going to need during recessions? No, absolutely. Good. Okay, well, thanks very much for everyone listening today. If you've got any suggestions on what we should be covering, if you've got any feedback or anything like that, then please feel free to contact us. Just simply contact us, send us an email at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com or just go on to the beyondphilosophy.com website. Always love to hear from our listeners. So thanks very much and cheers. This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.